I was just speaking to a very good friend and colleague of mine on Friday, just about the, the, the power of the Word of God being declared. Um, so hopefully the preacher's prepared and processed some things that actually literally comes through the ministry, through the minister to impact our lives and belief to change us forever. If it's your first time with us this morning, we believe that God's got something to say to you. And if you've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years and maybe you've been in hundreds of Sunday gatherings, we still believe that God's got something to say to you. So as we have an open heart this morning, an expectancy to hear from God, then let's just believe that. Josh, thanks for just flagging up the Central Area Conference. And if I just wear that hat for a moment, we'd love some of the folks from Arena Church to come down to commentary with us on March the 19th. Neil Austin's kindly offered to drive the minibus if we get enough people to uh, go. And so you won't have to worry about uh, getting there on your own. And uh, just a great conference. We've got John Andrews and Grayson Jones uh, speaking and uh, other contributors too. And it just gives you a little flavor of the bigger picture around the area. Please go to the resource hub if you're interested. They'll be glad to help you there. So we're on to part three of Essentials. Christian did an introductory talk. Um, uh, which just set the scene. And then last week, Julie talked about knowing God. Four elements to what we believe is essential in the life of Arena Church in these days. Knowing God, finding freedom, uh, discovering your purpose, and then making a difference. And it's my joy this morning for a few moments to talk about finding freedom. Because this is another expression of our intentional journey of moving all of us from the beginnings of faith, knowing God, to an outworking of faith, making a difference. Um, amongst other things, uh, uh, recently I've just been reading it afresh, just revisiting Ephesians. And it really is a book of two halves. And for me, it reflects everything we're trying to say at this moment. Because it calls people to know God. We can only do that by His grace. But then it reminds us that we're also His masterpiece, His workmanship. And it helps us to live out that faith. This is where we want to go increasingly in the church. Pastor Chris Hodges, leading a great church, says these words. Success in church is people moving on a spiritual journey. Not trying to get to Z if you're only at B, but how about stepping into C and D and E of the spiritual journey that takes us forward. That's success. And so, two Bible verses for us to think about this morning from John chapter 8 as we just go into the message. The first one is, uh, then you will know the truth. John eight thirty two, the good news book of John. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then John eight thirty six, in the context of the same passage, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So knowing God expresses itself in coming to Jesus and publicly declaring our faith in baptism, but there's a continual journey. Let me just give you a little context of John 8 for a moment, because Jesus was talking to religious people who uh, pushed back on his words when he spoke about freedom, because they contested, wrongly so, in their history, that they'd never been captive. Read the Old Testament until you'll find that that wasn't the case. But actually, they missed the point. Because Jesus wasn't talking about physical liberty outward. He was talking about spiritual liberty inward. 
And many of us have discovered that we can't live outwardly free until we discover that we are inwardly free. That's the passion of the good news of Jesus. God work, God doing a, a great work in our lives. You know, God's working in some unusual places in these days. One of the ways that God is working is in prison. God's doing some amazing things in prison. I can't open this up at all this morning from a public sense, but if somebody could just it'd be really helpful, thank you. Yeah, great, thanks. That's lovely, thank you. God's doing some amazing things. I can't open this up this morning simply to say that I'm aware of a great turnaround experience of somebody in prison in recent times. And uh, Alpha Course, people engaging with people that have got it wrong, made poor choices, but God doing a great thing. And if I can, forgive me for the play on words at the moment, but people are finding that there's freedom on the inside. Thank God. They're finding freedom on this. But the reality is, we've all got to find freedom on the inside. So let me let you into a debate that preachers and pastors have often had down the history of time. You see, for some people, getting saved and knowing God, what we call in the Bible regeneration, our inner being, our spirit coming alive to God. It's why we use the word born again. Some people would say, that's it. They would rail against Celebrate Recovery, Freedom in Christ courses, counseling, rehabilitation, all of those things because they would contest that it's all done at the cross. Well, we'd all agree with that. But how does what is done at the cross work out in our lives? I believe the Bible gives us an answer. You see, there's something that we call conversion, or if you like, the crisis, the moment that we come from darkness into light. Now, for some of you, if we went around the room today, you'd literally be able to name the date, the time, the church, the pastor, or the bedroom where you knelt down before God and repented. I understand that. For some of you, it's been more of a progressive journey of realizing that you've moved out of darkness into light. You've been born again. Conversion. And of course, for some people, conversion has been spectacular. Things have fallen away immediately. There are people in this room this morning that uh, had a dependency problem. The moment they got saved, it fell away. There are people in this room this morning that couldn't string a sentence together without swearing the moment they got saved, it fell away. And there's people in this room that would have no conscience the moment they got saved, they had a heightened conscience. That's what Jesus does. But the reality, friends, is however spectacular our conversion, however like the Apostle Paul it was, and we were thrust into the dirt of our particular situation, with Jesus speaking out saying, why are you persecuting me? And finding the Lord, there's another element to the process in terms of finding freedom. Not only conversion, crisis, but a long word in the Bible, sanctification, where we not only have a crisis, but a process. Sanctification literally means to be made holy. And the words are interchangeable in the New Testament. We have great pictures and types of them in the Old Testament as things, literal things, were sanctified for the worship in the tabernacle. The priests would sanctify themselves. Read about it in Leviticus. Please go there sometime. Okay. 
But read about the preparation of the priest to enter the holiest of all. Because he needed to be sanctified. Thankfully, friends, through the cross, we don't have to go through that. It's a living expression of all of our lives that we understand conversion, but we commit also to sanctification. And on the process of sanctification, God's heart is that we would increasingly find freedom. In Arena Church, we determined to give an opportunity for people to come to know God on a regular basis. And before this service is finished and the band leaders in a song at the end, there'll be an invitation if you've never come to know God, to know him. But the reality is also as a leadership, we've been committed not only to the crisis of conversion, but to the process of sanctification. And in seasons of the church, we've allowed people to seek to apply that in particular ways. For example, we ran for a little season what we call some encounter mornings. They tended to happen on a Saturday. Numbers of people came. Here's the reason we did it. It was an opportunity in our discipleship journey to have who we are in Christ confirmed and submit any issues that impede or obstruct the power of the cross. We did it by reflecting, by repenting, by renouncing, and by receiving. People understanding that there were still journeys to find freedom. Not because they were bad Christians, not because they'd not understood the gospel, not because it all didn't happen at the cross, but that there was an intentional and still is intentional journey for every one of us to find the wide open spaces that even as believers will still be contested for. And then we have some prayer encounter evenings on Tuesdays that have been uh, run into allowing our first Tuesday evenings to have such breadth and depth. Listen, presence must always be accompanied by process. Presence must always be accompanied by process. We've enjoyed and are enjoying the presence of God this morning. It's difficult to define it. Atmosphere, sense of God, vibrancy, praise, worship. We've all been in churches where there's no sense of presence. It's hard work. But thank God, friends, we're a church that wants to invite the presence of God. We believe in this church in praying for people. We believe in church that sometimes the presence and power of God may even cause some people sometimes not to be able to stand And you may have been in services where somebody's keeled up and thought, well, what's that about? It's the power of God. It may be that sometimes some people have shaken. But the reality is, God's doing that so that on Monday morning, you can process how you've been touched by his presence into your ordinary world with a supernatural God, finding freedom. It may be, friends, that you'd love the service to go on till two, three, four, five o'clock. Well, I'm a little bit worried that I'd have some irate husband at the door saying, where's my wife to make my Sunday dinner? And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have people sort of dissipating through the thing. The reality is, whether we like it or not, we are constrained by time. But God's right in this intentional time with us. There's opportunities for people to be prayed for. There's opportunity for people to be encouraged. But it will always be a challenge then, whatever we receive here, to go and work it out there. 
One final thing in a plea for balance. On the issue of freedom. You cannot read the good news books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John without recognizing that on occasions Jesus was confronted with and in delegated authority dealt with demonic powers. So, well, do you believe in that in your church? Well, actually, yeah. Because we believe in a real enemy. You know that we don't talk about him a lot because we'd rather talk about Jesus. He is defeated because it all happened at the cross. But we are still in a spiritual battle working that through. The reality, friends, listen carefully, is that the leadership of this church do not believe that every issue in people's lives is demonic. And we've had people in this church that have tried to take us there. And we're not going. Because the reality is that the flesh, we understand fallenness, we understand behind it all, darkness. The flesh has a lot to answer for. It's very easy at times to blame powers when simply we need to yield and die to the flesh. We believe in deliverance, friends, but we also believe in the power of avoidance. I'm believing for a young generation that sits in this room this morning not to have to come to me and say, yeah, I had to do drugs, I had to sleep around, I had to have 80 fags a day, I had to get smashed out of my mind. I realized it didn't work, so now I want to go on with God. How about not doing all that stuff? And living free and being a prophetic voice to your generation that when we really find freedom, that stuff will never satisfy. And we can live for Jesus in an amazing, amazing way. It was C.S. Lewis, the great writer, that says an unhealthy preoccupation with the demonic or a denial of it is how he describes the magician and the materialist. And the enemy delights in the imbalance of both. So yes, we have to have freedom, but we have to press into it with intention. Two or three things, friends, about why Christians settle for less in freedom than God has ordained. I am not coming here as a counselor. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm a pastor. We have trained counselors around the church, and we have trained counselors in relationship to the church. I'm not coming, I'm not, with respect, I'm not coming with psychobabble this morning where I've sort of read two or three books that nobody can understand about how the head works. I'm not coming with that. I'm just coming with three or four observations to me over a long journey of ministry as to why people at times don't find the freedom that they ought to enjoy. Number one, identity. This is me. I can't help it. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm moody. I'm bad-tempered. I'm erratic. I'm mean. All these things confessed by Christians at times. You see on the port with me. It's just what I am. Just like, I'm never going to change. And your identity is expressed not in your freedom, but in your bondage. Interestingly, I've had people at times say to me, well, I'm a mean so-and-so. Normally, they've got plenty of money. But they have this paranoia, whether it's a journey, whether it's a background, whatever, that they're never going to have enough. And so they're forever giving off that they don't want to give, even though they've got more than enough to give. The little phrase that really hit me this morning from Josh as he brought the offering is sometimes it is hard to give. I've been there. But to give anyway. And to see the blessing of God upon your life. My identity is because of my family. 
My identity is because of where I grew up. My identity is because I was the oldest and always got bypassed. My identity is because I was the youngest and nobody listened to me. My identity is that I'm the second oldest of seven. I don't know where that leaves me. But the reality is, friends, that we're forever confessing things regarding the fallenness of our lives. But here's your identity. The Word of God, the living, eternal, enduring Word of God, which we call the Bible, says that you have an identity in Jesus Christ that is uniquely you, that's been, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. It may have been that you've had confessed over you. You know you were never wanted. You know that we wish you'd never been born. You know that you've been a pain in the neck. You know that you've You've had all that and you live with that identity. But God's not saying that. God's not saying that anybody was ever a mistake in his sovereignty and purpose. And he loves to get over, he loves to get hold of the so-called human mistakes of life and use them amazingly for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the identity of Christ to fulfill your specific divine destiny on the earth. It's all over your life. And you do that best when you understand that in that identity in Christ, you are called to live free. Your identity is not in your job or lack of one. How many of us have walked into a crowd of people? Hello, I'm Andy. I'm Phil. Andy, what do you do for a living? I'm not even asking him about his wife and his kids. And he tells me about the responsible job that he carries, the intellectual rights on this guy, by the way, regarding the equipment that he works. Nobody's got him in the UK. That's the level that he works with. And then my conversation stopper. So what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. <laughs> hey, do that when you sat next to somebody for the next eight hours on a plane. Oh. <laughs> He's going to get me. He's going to stop talking about Jesus for the next eight hours. <laughs> That's why sometimes I say, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you may not have a job today and you feel defined in your identity by unemployment. Number one, God wants you to have a job. We're going to be praying for you. God wants you to find a new... You may have been told you'll never get a job. You're useless. You're unemployable. God's not saying that over you. And if you're unemployed in the house this morning and you want a job, I'm confessing right now with an expectancy of faith that God's going to come. He's going to open divine doors for you. He's going to bring you to a place of work that you can help your worth and value in a new way. You're not defined by your street. You're not defined by your postcode. Mine was NG85NE. Don't all Google map it and gather there this afternoon or they'll freak out. But 299 Broxter Lane, Aspley, there it goes. And as much as I like living there, I'm not defined by it. You're not defined by failure. You are defined by what you are in Jesus Christ. You are defined by what you are in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> This month, we've got a guest contributor for the Bible reading, Sue Buckley. And uh, so, we're sort of without any sort of really we're talking it through, Sue's done a brilliant set of what we are in Christ. I'd encourage you to either access it through the
the mail out from Julie via computer or pick up a copy from the resource table because it reminds us of what our identity is in the Lord. Let me brief, briefly move on say, secondly, people don't find freedom because of security, or should I say insecurity. So they live by comparison with others. They find criticism or even gentle encouragement impossible to deal with. They want to control and manipulate all to their own ends. I was reading the weekend press about Alan Anson. He was a brilliant footballer for Liverpool when they used to win things. And, uh, and uh, well, the, the boss is here today, so he, <laughs> and who knows about this afternoon? I don't know, but he was a Rolls Royce defender. It looks like he wasn't running, and those of you that saw him play. And then, of course, for about 20 years, he was a match of the day pundit. He started off by that great comment of, you can't win anything with kids. And the class of 92 sort of just took it to a, an amazing place. But here's Hansen in the press over the weekend. He says, um, <clears throat> he says these words. He says, when I became a pundit, I didn't like the other pundits because I was scared they might be better than me. Honestly, I thought they were all better than me. You see, it was my insecurity. And you need to find freedom not to live by comparison. I've had to process some of that at times in my own life. As a young minister, I used to feel dwarfed by the greats that I used to be in the company of. I used to come away perhaps thinking sometimes, you know, I'm not sure really I'm up to much. Till I realized that God had made me uniquely me. I didn't have to be anybody else. In Christ. The psalmist says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. Number three, not only identity, not only security, but number three, carnality. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, you are still carnal. This is Christians he's talking to. You are still carnal. Another word for carnal is flesh. Another word for flesh is self. Another word for flesh is worldly. Not that we should be in the world, we should, but we're not of the world because we're different. We're free on the inside. The reason that some of us have a problem with sin at times is because we like it. We like carrying on sinning. We like continuing to be carnal. But the best way to find freedom, because it will impede your freedom, is to live for the Lord. Don't have time to open it this morning, but Ephesians 4, 21 to 32 reflects for us the battle between the old man and the new man. Not the old man in terms of your dad, but the old man in terms of your old life. As a Christian, you're saying, Phil, yeah, as a Christian, we still live in a fallen world. And although it was all done at the cross, it's how we appropriate what was done at the cross in terms of the development of us finding freedom. So we're to put off the old man and we're to put on the new man, you can be prayed for as many times as you like. You've got to put off and you've got to intentionally put on. This week, we're all going to be confronted with stuff that needs to be put off. Make a choice. And we're all going to be confronted with stuff that we need to put on. Make a choice. But if we are moving increasingly to finding freedom, you know what the answer will be. To put on literally means, from the original language, 
to become in practice what God intends us to be. So on the back of that, think about the importance of freedom. I'm going to quote a verse now that is one of Christian's favorites from 2 Corinthians 6 in the message. Here's Paul talking to this church that was still carnal. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter the wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Live openly and expansively. You know, one of the things that we can test for in the heavenlies in this church as we pray and as we lead is that the enemy continually says, well, nothing's going to ever happen there of significance. Nothing's going to ever happen in Mansfield. But we are determining, friends, not to be fenced in by the smallness of our thinking, but to live in the freedom of what God has called us to be, open and expansive. You may have heard the story of the lion that had been caged for a considerable amount of time, and it was 12 paces from the middle of the cage to the perimeter of the cage. One day, all the fences were pulled down, and the lion was called to go free. Guess what? He could only find himself ever going 12 paces from the center of where he'd been used to going. And freedom, friends, is the cages that have sat over our lives being pulled down by the power of Jesus and us finding identity in him. And it's more than 12 paces in the kingdom. There's more for every one of us. More for every one of us. More gift, more power, more use, more blessing for every person this morning in Jesus' name. So we need to understand the importance of freedom. We need to understand the source of freedom. You saw from our two verses in John 8 that the sources of our freedom are the person of Christ and the word of God. Or if you like, the son of God and the scriptures of truth. You shall know the, the, if the son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the extent of our freedom is this, Psalm 108 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, removed our transgressions or sins from us. We don't have to carry it, friends, any longer. As I come to a conclusion, and the conclusion won't be lengthy, but it won't be a couple of sentences, I want to share two or three things with you that will just help try and land the message this morning and the context of where we want to try and encourage people increasingly to find freedom. I hope you've heard my heart this morning because there's probably in every one of us still a journey of finding freedom. That doesn't mean that we're bad people. It doesn't mean that we're holding on to horrible sins. It doesn't mean that we need deliverance. But it means that every one of us need to continually and intentionally pursue the whole journey that God has called us to and embrace it. It starts with the crisis of finding Christ. And it commits to a process of becoming more and more like him. I've been a pastor now for a long time and a Christian, but I'm still on the journey of finding freedom. This week, on Tuesday, it was a long day, good day. But we had six interviews for new ministry for Assemblies of God. Kevin Short, my colleague, does a great job in this, and we have a little applications team that are passionate about the call of God. And twice a year we bring together some people and normally I'm a bit of a basket case at the end of it because some of the stories are so moving. 
of how God has taken hold of people just like you and me and positioned them to live out the call of God in their lives in ministry. It's incredible. And friends, whatever our concerns are regarding the world that we live in, God is still calling people to ministry in these days. He's still passionate about building his church. Be encouraged. And so, very, very respectfully this morning and carefully, in terms of the public context of this message, I don't really want to give anything away. Suffice to say that as I sat there on Tuesday, realizing what was before me in terms of preparing the message on freedom, I realized that even in that room, there were people on a journey of finding freedom. Let me talk to you about the lady who's in a restored place of ministry after an emotional breakdown. What about the lady that's coming for ministry who has a distant, silent, earthly father and had to find freedom to realize that God's not like that? What about the young man with an interesting and may even be described as dysfunctional, transient childhood, who in his early 20s has lived in 36 different homes. I said three, six. And he's seeking to find freedom into the security of his life in this season. All wrestling with the call of God. All wanting to serve the Jesus Christ. Not bad people, good people. Not sinful people, holy people. But all on the journey of still trying to find freedom. And we're believing increasingly that in finding freedom, John, James 5.16 will be a key verse in the journey of our church. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The whole context of the end of James 5 is prayer. And we're believing increasingly, friends, that the context of small groups where we connect, protect, and grow, will be a great context for people to find freedom. Not freaky, not weird. So Andy, what's your sins this week? You know. That's twice I've picked on him, sorry. But affirming collaborative relational groups that somehow give us a space on occasions to make the next step into our freedom journey with Jesus. Let me give a few examples. I was reading about the Promise Keepers movement in the, in the States. Men that meet together in intentional small groups, they do seven things. They honor Jesus. They find relationship with a few other men. They commit to purity. They look after their family. They're connected to a local church. They're... <clears throat> blessed to be a service and they seek to pray to be an influence in their world finding freedom what about this pastor in a book I read last year what an uncomfortable read Sam Chand leadership pain Oh. and here's a pastor a good pastor seeking to increasingly find the journey of freedom in his life he said this that I continue to commit to walk in the purposes of God. I continue to understand that the importance of confessing and repentance. I've come to understand that I need to be quick to confess my wrongs 
I need to quit hiding, rationalizing, minimizing, and justifying. I need to find someone and speak out the truth loud, just like James 5.16 tells us. I don't have to do it with everybody, but I need to find somebody. He goes on to say that the confession of our hearts opens us up to the flood of God's love, forgiveness, acceptance, and blessing. Without it, I can get so stuck in the quicksand of denial. If I want to live in the light, I have to be radically committed to the truth. No more faking, no more pretense, no more mass. I'm committed to walk in the light, in freedom, whatever it takes. And then I read about a group of pastors that were meeting together on a regular basis. It's what's sometimes called a fraternal. Fraternal simply means brotherhood. I'm not saying that this should happen, but these pastors used to ask each other these questions as they met together. One, have you been completely above reproach in all your financial dealings since we last met? Two, have you exposed yourself to any explicit material since we last met? Three, have you spent time in prayer in the scriptures? Four, have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling? Five, have you taken time off to be with your family? Six, have you just lied to me? <laughs> You're not going to get there in a moment. I'm Phil, I'm John. Yeah, well, I need to tell you all about my life, mate. You know, <laughs> But if I can find a John that loves me, if I can find a context where I'm protected and cared for, if I can find a group of people in Arena Church that want to champion my cause to live free, then maybe there will be just some things that will spill friends in vulnerability that will help us take that next step. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people of Arena Church, let's continue to take the next step in our great pursuit of finding freedom. Amen.